said gray hair is a crown of glory. I can't think of anybody who don't like crowns, especially a crown of glory. So this is gained by living a godly life. So the silver hair, the silver-haired head is an indication of long life. And the if should be omitted. It is a crown of glory or beauty because it is viewed here as a reward for a righteous life. It's a sign, it's an indication. And so this verse is the opposite. This verse is the opposite of Psalm 55, 23, which says, Bloodthirsty and deceitful men shall not live half their days. And so because the Hebrews, the Hebrews believed that living long was an indication of God's blessing. That's what they believed. And so gray hair and old age were, were good. They saw it as a good thing, not a negative thing, like people see it today. While the strength of young people is their glory, the years of experience of, and practical wisdom is what older people can rejoice in. And we talk about it all the time, about how the experience of older people are not respected today. Gray hair is not a mark of disgrace. Some people view it. That should be covered up or eliminated or hidden. It is a crown of magnificence. That's what it is. And so whenever we deal with older people, the indication here from this proverb is that they ought to be retreated with much respect. And so it's a joy, it's a glory to have a hair full of white. To have a white head. Gray head. Okay, verse 32. Verse 32. <laughs> Okay, it's better to be patient than powerful. Now a lot of people who are not patient. A person who is able to control temper is a greater hero than a military conqueror. Anyone who has patience, you're better, you're, you're greater than Napoleon Bonaparte. Wow. The greatest conqueror, one of the greatest conquerors in the world. If you got patience, you can handle that. This, in this area, victory is more difficult than capturing a city. Although he was one of the greatest czars of Russia, Peter the Great failed when it came to temple. He was a magnificent conqueror, but when it came to temple, he failed. It is said that in a fit of temper, or rage, or bad temper, or short temper, he hit his gardener one day, and a few days afterwards his gardener died. And he said, he said, alas, I have conquered other nations, but I have not been able to conquer myself, was a statement. And so we need to be, especially uh, believers, self-control is greater than conquest for us. Success in anything can be ruined by losing of temper. You could be successful at anything and you could blow it all by losing your temper. This means that, that controlling your temper is a great personal victory. If you can control your temper, you get a great personal victory. Whenever you feel yourself on the edge of exploding, remember that losing your temper may cause you to give up more than you want, more than anything you want the most. Verse 33. You may throw the dice, but your Lord determines how they fall. Amen. 
God determines everything. You could make all the plans you want. And there are people who uh, think that they've got a technique. Well, there's no such thing as a technique. It says right here, you throw it, whatever technique you have, God overrules that. He overrides that. He determines what the outcome is. And so casting of the lot was a, was, was a lawful way of determining God's will in the Old Testament. And uh, we see that as we read through the Old Testament, we see that a lot. They often drew straws or cast lots to determine what kind of decision, or flip a coin uh, to determine what, uh, what kind of uh, decision that they want to make. So it was a common thing uh, in the Old Testament uh, to make decisions. Um, all the way up to Pentecost, uh, we see that in the New Testament. So while the whole process appeared to be mostly a matter of chance, most people saw it that way. The Lord overruled to reveal His guidance. It was one way that they could determine that God is in control. They never saw it as chance as we see it today. They saw it as, we're going to do this and God is going to tell us what we need to do because He's going to, he's going to determine the outcome. That's the way they saw it. Now that's not the way people see it today. Okay, they see it, they, they throw the dice and they see it as luck. They see it as having a dream, they dream with this, this number, and, 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 and they throw the dice and the number fall, and, and that's what they say, you know, that, that's how it works. But in the Old Testament, uh, it, was, it was God who guided and directed the outcome of casting of lots, or throwing of the dice, or flipping a coin, or whatever they did, God always determined. And they knew that it was the way that God worked, it was the way that God moved them to determine what He wanted them to do. And so it was all God. It was not chance. It was not technique. And so because we have the complete Word of God today, we have the full uh, canon of Scripture. It gives us a general outline of God's will. So we don't need to cast lots today. We don't need to throw the dice today. Okay, we don't need to draw straws today. We don't need to flip a coin today to determine what God wants us to do. But God tells us in His Word what He wants us to do. In fact, the Proverbs that we are going through right now, is one of the ways God tells us what He wants us to do in a given situation or circumstance. And that's why we call it a Proverbs-driven life, because it's God who is driving it through the Proverbs. And so we need explicit direction about issues God Word. If we need ex when we need explicit directions about God's Word, we f what to do? God's Word provides it. You can go in the Scripture and find out what you need to do about any given situation. And the scriptures are exhaustive. And so it never runs out of direction. It never runs out of, of, of instructions and what we ought to do. And uh, it, it, it covers everything. We find out His will by waiting on Him in prayer. So you go to God's Word. You know, we, we find out what God wants you to do in a given situation. And then you go to God and say, and say, Lord, this is what you said I should do in your word. And so I'm asking you to do exactly what you said you would do. Now, God doesn't lie. So if you take God at His word and you tell Him you're taking Him at His word, He's going to come through. God doesn't want... One of the things that God desires most is for us to take Him at His word, to depend upon Him, to call Him, to call him out. Is what we what we what we say. Uh, God, you promised that you're going to do this, so I'm expecting you to do it. And when you read through the Old Testament, you'll see that that's how all the, the patriarchs worked. That's how all of them worked. 
they, they dwelt and they lived based on the promises of God. Whenever they went to God with something, they said, God, you said. You said you could do this. You said you were going to do this. So I expect you to do it. And we could do the same thing. That's what it's called being, uh, entering, and entering into God's presence boldly. You're not asking for anything that God said He, he, he wasn't, couldn't do or wouldn't do. He promised that He'll do this. And so we could take Him at His promise and take Him at His word. And so we find every decision is from the Lord when we do that. There's no doubt about, am I doing the right thing? Because you've taken it to the, to the, to the, to the Lord, you've gone to, the, to, the, to God because of what God says in His Word, and so God is true to His Word and He will come through. Okay, uh, verse, uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Now we're still, looking at, uh, we're still looking at the theme of living with dignity. And that theme goes all the way through to chapter 22. And so this is what he's talking about uh, in these passages. Uh, verse 1. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet house full of feasting with strife. Okay, eating a piece of dry bread in a relaxed, a relaxed environment or situation or, or circumstance is much better than eating a sumptuous meal in a stylish house full of feasting where there's all lot of backbiting and sadness. Much better. You're not going to enjoy that meal. You'll probably get indigestion if you do that. Verse 2. Okay, and we've seen this happen all, uh, many times. Uh, there, are, there, are, there are children who are squabbling in families when a, when, a, when a parent dies because of this very same thing. A servant who is competent often rises higher than a disgraceful son. A person who has a son who is no good, good for nothing, whatever you want to call them, uh, will often write that son out of their will and, and benefit, leave all the benefits to a faithful caregiver or servant or employee who treated them well, took care of them well, was respectful and obedient. And so we see that. That's happening today. That's not happening way back then. That's happening now. We see it all the time. And, uh, and so we, 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 this, is, this is quite relevant to today. Verse 3. Okay, fire tests everything. The value, the, 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 the goodness of anything is tested by fire. So while fire can test silver and gold, only the Lord can test the human heart. No one else, nothing else. His testing process removes the dross and purifies the life until he sees his own image reflected in it. So when God kept carrying us through all those trials, He's like shining us up, cleaning us up, taking off all the bad dross and all that stuff. Because He wants to see His image reflected in us. And that's why whenever we go, wherever we go, whatever we do, we ought to remember that, we ought to remember whose we are, who we belong to. Because whatever we do, God is going to get the repercussions. Especially if people know who you are. They know that you belong to God. They're going to get, God's going to get the repercussions. Uh, the devil is going to go to God and say, See what your child doing again? What, wrong, what you need wrong with him? What you need wrong with her? Always in trouble. Okay? 
Remember now, he is the accuser of the brethren. That's one of the names that the scriptures give him. Alright, what does that mean? That means he's always accusing us. He's always accusing you. Don't make no mistake. God can hear about that from him. Even though God already knows. It's like a tattletale. You know what tattletale is? They can't see nothing, they go run and tell on you. But that's the way the devil is. He's a, he's a, he's a, 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 a major tattletale. And so God wants His image to re, wants His image wants us to reflect His image. And so when through fire trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design the dross to consume and thy gold to refine. Remember that? It's a hymn by George Keith. And that's what it's all about. So it takes intense heat to purify gold and silver. Intense heat. Thousands of degrees of heat. Well, in the same way for the Christian to be purified, it often takes the heat of trials. And so when we go through those tough times and those difficulties, God is purifying us. He's preparing us. God uses trials to show us what is in us and to clear out anything that gets in the way of completely trusting Him at all times. If you have a problem trusting God, trust me, God's going to bring some trials in your life to fix that. So whenever those trials come, you need to, okay Lord, what is it I'm doing that I'm not doing that I should be doing? That's the question that we should ask. I'm not, oh Lord, why me again? No, Lord, what are you fixing now? Because that's it. He's fixing something. He's cleaning up something. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Three, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, Peter says. But let me start off from the beginning. Peter says, these trials, this is First Peter 1.7, he says, these trials will show you, will show that your faith is genuine. If you think your faith is shaky, the trials are intended to show you that your faith is real, it's not shaky. It is, it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is more precious than mere gold, Peter says. So when tough times come your way, welcome them. Don't groan and grumble and complain about them. Welcome them by realizing that God wants to use them to refine your faith and purify your heart. Whatever it is, God is working. And the quicker you get the message, the sooner the trials will stop. The heat will, the heat will turn down. When the food finishes cooking, you turn off the heat, right? The food done. Okay, when God is done, He'll turn off the heat. As long as you keep the, the heat on, the food ain't done. You gotta keep cooking. Alright, some people never get that message, so they stay cooking. God continues to keep the heat on so that they get the message. Verse 4. Okay, so lies, baseless rumors, false accusations are all welcomed by wrongdoers. People who don't mean nobody no good. Liars enjoy listening to scandal. Got a juicy piece for you today. Child, you gotta hear this. 
people go in the laundromat and listen to other people in their business. You know, sit down and listen, and then they go, boy, you know what I hear, but, 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 but Annie Sue the other day, you, you wouldn't believe it. So liars enjoy listening to scandal, slander, and spiteful talk. The kind of talk a person feeds on is an indicator of what is in their heart. Whatever a person likes gives you an idea of what kind of heart they have. Deceitful heart, wicked heart. Verse 5. Also mocked the poor reproached his nation, and he that is glad at calamities shall not be punished. Okay, so as we've already seen in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 31, we saw this before. Whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. But here we see that whatever takes, whoever takes cold-blooded pressure in misfortune almost always makes people poor and they will not escape punishment. According to the book of Obadiah, doom is pronounced on Edom for rejoicing when Israel fell. And that's why the Bible tells us whenever our enemies get in trouble, we should not gloat. We should not rejoice. If we do, God is going to stop dealing with them. He's going to stop punish them, punishing them. So, few acts are as cruel as making fun of the less fortunate. Few. But many people do it because, for one, it makes them feel better, better off. Because they look at a person, they compare themselves with the other person, and they feel that they're better off, and so they make fun of them. Uh, or they feel that they're more successful than, than somebody else. Uh, so they make fun of them. Uh, but mocking the poor is mocking God who made them. And uh, people never seem to remember that. So whenever we tease weak people, or those who are indifferent, or anybody else, we're actually ridiculing God himself. And that's what Proverbs is saying. So whenever we find ourselves putting others down, just for the fun of it, we need to stop and think about who made them, who created them. Because that's the person you're actually ridiculing. And sometimes we, we do it and, and, and we don't really mean anything, but it does, it, it amounts to the same thing. Verse 6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. So elderly people are honored by the many godly offspring they have. And grandparents can attest to that. Amen? Okay, uh, Psalm 127 is another reminder of that. Um, Psalm 127, verses 3 to 5. It says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are reward. They are reward from Him. Do people see, do everybody see children as rewards from God? Many people don't do that, right? Sometimes they see children as a burden. Or they get in my way. You know, I can't succeed. I can't have my career. I can't do this. I can't do that. These children are a burden. Uh, they don't see children as a reward, a gift from the Lord. You know, there are many people who can't have children and would like to have them. You know, and they, 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 they crave to have children. Children born to, young, to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands, uh, the psalmist says. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. In other words, he gave plenty of boys to back him up. 
when the, when the enemy tried to get on his case. When the neighbors tried to get on him, he stopped out there with all his boys behind him. He said, now what you, what you, what you thinking? Okay, that's, what he, that's the picture that, uh, that we see presented here. And then the enemy look at all them boys, them big strapping fellas behind him, and they'll back down. And they'll, like the fellas back down when they saw Goliath. Dignified, we're 17. Oh, sorry, we're 7. I'm looking at chapter 17. Verse 7. Okay, so he's talking about language here. Dignified and eloquent language or speech is out of place in the mouth of an ill-mannered fool. In other words, don't expect uh, a fool to, to act or speak dignified or to use dignified language or eloquent language. Even more so, lies are not fitting for a ruler, so it should not be expected. In other words, rulers are not expected to tell lies. Or, in our context today, leaders or government officials are not expected. Now don't say it don't happen. They're not expected to tell lies. But of course we know that's not the case, right? More is expected by the world from the children of God because they have a higher standard for us than they do for themselves. You ever notice that? The crook will expect the child of God to be more law-abiding and obedient than him. He knows he's a crook. Okay? But if the child of God does something crooked, boy, they can be all over you. Because why? Because they know what you stand for. They know that a higher standard is expected of us. And some Christians take that for granted. They figure, well, that, that fellow down the road, he, he's an old crook, he can do that, but I must can do it too and get away with it. Alright? But the, 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 the criminal, they don't look at the children of God. In other words, they look at us, we're supposed to be perfect. You're not supposed to do anything wrong. As soon as you do, God gets a black eye. See? He's supposed to be a Christian. Look what he's doing. We hear it all the time, don't we? You can't make a mistake. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, the children of God, because of the highest, more is expected of the children of God by the world. Because they have a higher standard uh, to live by. And so, we have been watched. We have been watched. And again, back to the accuser of the brethren. Devil has a lot to do with that too. Okay, verse eight. He's talking about bribes here. Uh, people, uh, bribe is considered by some people to be a lucky charm uh, to a person who who gives them. So a person feels if they can uh, get away with something, they give uh, the person a bribe and they figure they could get what all. So a bribe is like a lucky charm. What do they call it? A rabbit's foot? You know, people you carry around these rabbit's foot for good luck? Well, some people use bribes like that. Uh, because it opens doors, it obtains favors and gets privileges. It is credited with performing all kinds of wonders. That's what a bribe is to a lot of people. 
You know, you can uh, tell it to me one day. I was I had this plumber uh, doing some work for me one time, and he he said uh, as he was doing the work, he said, "Oh, I just did some work for one of them them um, uh, numbers boss on Paradise Island." And uh, he got gold-plated fixtures in his bathroom, and he was doing the plumbing, so he knew. Gold-plated fixtures in his bathroom. And, and apparently they got in some kind of a conversation. And the fellow told him that um, he uh, had one lot. Uh, he bought one lot on Paradise Island for his house, but he wanted two, because the one wasn't, too, wasn't big enough. But the homeowners association said, it's a rule, you can only have one. But he wanted two. So he gave his lawyer a bribe and the money to buy an extra one for him. And he got it. He got it. And that's what he's talking about here, uh, about bribes. Bribes are used as a, like a lucky charm. Because they open doors, they obtain favors, and they get privileges. People never take no for an answer when a bribe will do. Okay, if someone tells them no, you can simply ask, okay, how much? How much you want? And we see that happening all the time. It happens in governments a lot. In government agencies, boy, you can get all kinds of things with a bribe. And uh, someone say something? because it would seem as if Solomon is condoning bribery yes. but he's not he's not he's in no way condoning bribery uh, and we're gonna see that when we get to uh, verse 15 and verse 23 we're gonna see that uh, what he says he says some more things about bribes and we're gonna see uh, from those verses when we get that it is not he's not condoning bribery he's simply making an observation about the way the world operates the way the unsaved, unregenerate, unregenerate, secular world operates. To them, it's a, it's a key to open doors. Okay? Even though bribes may get people what they want, the Bible clearly condemns it. Clearly condemns them. And we see this in, the other couple, in a couple of other passages. Uh, first one, uh, Exodus chapter 23, verse 8. It says, take no bribes. Notice, take no bribes. Now, isn't that clear? For a bribe makes you ignore something that you clearly see. A bribe makes even a righteous person twist the truth. Huh? Exodus 23.8 A bribe makes even a righteous person twist the truth. And we see that that happens every day. Every day that happens. And then we see another occasion, that's the Old Testament, we see another occasion of bribe in the New Testament. Uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 to 15. It says, as the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priest what had happened. This is about Jesus' crucifixion. A meeting with the elders was called. Now, the elders now. And they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. It's the elders 
giving the soldiers a bribe. Verse 13, they told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while they were sleeping, while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you, so you won't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Okay, so we have two occasions both in the Old Testament, New Testament, Old Testament and New Testament about how God condemns bribes. And we're going to see a little bit more of that as we move further on. Verse 9. Okay, so whoever refuses to remember an offense against them seeks love and friendship. The person who insists on digging up past grievances only succeeds in separating friends, causing uh, friction, causing problems. So being willing to disregard the faults of others is actually what this proverb is talking about. It's what it's saying, to disregard the faults of others. Not, rather than dwelling on them, uh, making things even worse, Forgiving faults is necessary to any relationship. In other words, if someone does something wrong, they, 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 they did something bad, you know, you're not, you're not going to make that friendship any better by continuing to remind them of it, of the wrong they've done or the bad they've done. While it is especially tempting in an argument to dig up all the mistakes of another person has ever made in their whole lifetime, love, however, keeps his mouth shut. As difficult as it may be sometimes, and it's tempting sometimes to bring up sometimes people's past when you get in a heated argument. But love doesn't do that, and that's what he's saying here. Love, if you truly value that friendship, you will not dig up a person's past mistakes when you get in an argument and you want to prove your point, is what he said. You, you won't do that. Love will not allow you to do that if you truly love that person. And so, the point is, Try to never bring up anything in an argument that is unrelated to the topic being discussed. You know people do that, right? You do that. You want to prove a point. You want to win the argument. So you bring up something that's totally off the wall. As we grow to be like Christ, we will require God's ability to forget, to, for, to confess sins of the past. If a person has already confessed their sins, that's a done deal. You don't need to dig that up again and bring it before them. Okay, it's done, it's over. And so, if we want to grow like Christ, if we want to live a Proverbs-driven life, and have a common sense way of living, that's what we need to do. We need to allow love to prevail, love to rule. Love, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. You know why? Because love don't dig up the past. Love let things be. Love covers a multitude. We gotta stop right there, because our time is gone. But I believe we get the point, right? Father, we thank you and praise you for the opportunity once again to hear from you. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we may take what you've said to us seriously to the point where we will apply it to our situations and circumstances when we encounter them. Bless us now with your blessed benediction, we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.